Welcome to the Porsche Club Insider, your one stop for all things Porsche and PCA. Here's your host, Vu Gwynn, and the Insider Crew. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 101. We are at PCA's national headquarters. Around the table, I have our technical director, Manny Albin, our digital media coordinator, Damon Lowney, Robert Forsyth at the controls to make all this work. And then we have our special guest that you've seen him before, owner of Columbia Valley Luxury Cars, our PCA valuation expert, and just a genuine good guy. We have the ever popular Nathan Mers. Nathan, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, thanks for joining us. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but real quickly, let's just jump into uh, what we did last week. I, I guess I'll get started. Uh, my region had a uh, a breakfast. So I drove an hour down to Annapolis, Maryland to support them. We had about 20 people. Same place they always have, this little uh, cafe. Um, good excuse to go take the uh, 964 out for a long drive. It's, uh, luckily, we don't have any uh, ice on, or not ice, rather, uh, no salt on the roads, mm-hmm. um, no ice either. Uh, I don't know if it's global warming or what, but uh, it's been a mild winter except for that little bit of snow we had, and I'm very happy for it. Were you the only air-cooled car at the group? Yes. Yeah, it's pretty yes, rare to see yeah. air-cooled cars. Wasn't many Porsche there. Understandably, some people storm for the winter. Mm. I don't like to storm. I drive whenever I can, uh, short of driving it in salt. How about you, Damon? Um, I did a little work on the the Cayman, so it's it's inching closer. Um, if uh, took some pictures, a few pictures of what I did, and it was the center radiator. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see a couple things. It wasn't just the center radiator, but while you are taking the bumper off, um, you'll discover that if you've never taken the bumper off and cleaned the leaves out of the uh, the front intake area in front of the radiators, they'll be really dirty so that's on the bottom that's what you can see if you're looking just in through your bumper and you might you know scrape off some um leaves and whatnot underneath you know in the lower part of the radiator it's a a radiator on top of a radiator so one's for coolant one's probably for ac 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 condenser condenser. Mm -hmm. and uh but what you'll see in this photo is that leaves go everywhere and including um, on top and of you it, don't see that when the bumper's on. You don't see that when the <laughs> bumper's on. And on top of that, not only is that on the top and bottom, it's behind. Mm-hmm. So when you are doing, and, and it's super easy to take the the bumper off of 987 or 986. We have, actually have a video on, on PCA's YouTube channel. Um, but take the bumper off. You can do that in probably well under 30 minutes if you're just kind of mm-hmm. working at it. And um, then if... Robert backs out a bit, you you would uh, vacuum up all those. And then there's a little, I think it's an 8mm, 9mm, 10mm bolt on the right-hand side, the outside of each radiator. Just undo that, slide the radiator off, and then put you know a thin thin vacuum hose up and and get all that crap out of there. Um, there was quite a lot, so I was I was losing cooling for sure. Yeah. So um, for those of you that think you can just stick your shop vac with a little extension and get to it, you're only going to get to maybe seventy five percent of it. And yeah. here's the problem, and I, from experience, and that's why we did the video on uh, mm-hmm. YouTube is uh, for my nine nine six. You know, I just did the typical uh, vacuum what I could see and I just left it. Well, what happens is these leaves and the junk that gets in there starts to break down and Mm -hmm. it becomes acidic, 
which then attacks the aluminum pieces. And so the reason why I found out mm -hmm. is one day I had air conditioning in the 996 mm -hmm. and another day it I didn't. Out, huh? So we took it over to Gennady at GT Performance and he pulled the bumper off. He's like, hey, when did you last clean your... I'm like, uh, <laughs> I do clean it. He's like, well, you don't take the bumper off. Mm -hmm. And guess what? All that organic material started to attack the yep. aluminum. And so it's a it's a great at least do it annually. It's just like he said, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, yeah. Pretty easy to pull your bumper cover off and clean them up. Yep. It's easier with two people for, you know, taking the bumper off and putting yeah. it back on. But you can do it one person. And then, and then while you're doing that, you might want to consider doing those grills. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of companies that make it. You can some people have fashioned them out of um, gutter cover stock and mm -hmm. stuff like that. The key thing is you don't want to pick something where the holes are too small. It's going to limit the airflow mm -hmm. and cause heating problems. But there's yeah. there's a lot of companies out there that make it and yep. that'll help keep a lot of the leaves out of it. For yeah, the definitely. And so what I did is uh, if you're watching YouTube, the picture that's up right now is a new center radiator. So Porsche nice. factory OEM, um, which I bought from suncoastparts.com. Uh, it's a dealer out in Florida, I believe, who has a very robust parts program. And they, they'll send you a kit. Um, it came with both 997 and 987 you know, parts, like the little rubber plasticky thing that covers the radiator that you see on the, on the screen. Um, they'll send you both. So I don't know if they accidentally did or they just send mm. you both and you choose whichever one you have. Now, did you have to cut out the center part of your bumper or was there so, a no, um, so I was misunderstanding some of the, uh, instructions before I bought it, but after buying it and then, um, reading the instructions a little more closely and looking on YouTube. So the Cayman already has a, a hole in the center oh. you just pop out that the cover, a plastic cover, mm. and then you use the one that Suncoast give you. So what I didn't realize, the cutting that everyone has to do is underneath, and I wish I had a picture of this, but the bumper cover is totally flat underneath, you know, behind the very front. It goes under the car a little bit, and it flattens, and there's mm -hmm. no holes. Um, the air going into the radiator goes in, and then it dumps down. So you mm -hmm. have to cut holes into the bottom of your bumper cover oh, to allow the air to flow through. So um, a 987 oh, Boxster owner would have to cut a hole in their bumper or uh, get a different bumper because they don't have that center hole I stock see. unless right. you have an S, I believe they 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 might. Um, but mm. but yeah, really easy. I mean, once you take the bumper cover off, and uh, it's probably twenty minutes to put it together and, and, and install it. You know, before uh, repressurizing and adding coolant and all that. Um, but so easy. So if you want to do a center radiator. Don't think it's hard at all. It's mm. totally plug and play. Everything's already there. And if you buy a kit, um, you so, probably don't so need easy. it unless you're planning to do track, yeah, track events. events. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. if you're planning to do track events, you do the, the center radiator. And then I bought a 996 oil cooler, which I had to go buy seals. They didn't come with the seals, unfortunately. So I'm waiting on that. But the 996 oil cooler is like two inches taller than a 987 Cayman oil cooler, stock oil cooler. So that's where the cooling comes from. Mm. So you kind of want to do both at the same time. And roughly, what's the investment to do a uh, 165, not including shipping for the oil cooler, and then the radiator kit, center radiator kits, uh, three ninety five, not including tax or shipping. That's oh, pretty so cheap. Really, wow. really, really for a Porsche tax, that's yeah. pretty oh my cheap. God. I thought it was going to be much <laughs> no, more. No, that. that's the thing. Like I've I held off for so long, thinking, oh, it's going to mm. be a big job and whatever. No, easy and relatively so easy. no brainer. Yeah, and it's all OEM. So. Even if you're not going to do track events, I think I'd get that just for yeah. Yeah, you might as add, well add insurance. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So Nathan, how about you? Anything interesting over the weekend? 
You know, I had an entirely transaxle week this last week. So um, we had a rare bout of a couple clear days. And so I looked around the shop. I said, you know what? My trusty little 928 needs a drive. Well, it's it's actually my most reliable starting old Porsche. And I don't even have to keep it on a battery tender. And so I jumped in it and I flipped the key and the starter word to life. And then everything in the car went dark. And I went, oh. what the Ooh. heck? This car has no electrical gremlins. So, <laughs> a 928 uh, with electrical gremlins. Nah. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's an amazing car. So anyway, I got out my factory service, man. I thought, you know, one of the things I've never done on this car is just uh, grab every ground in the car and make sure it's clean. So I literally... Got the service manual located all the factory ground points. And how many grounds is dozen. that, by the way? That's around a dozen on one of those. Oh, that's not too bad. Um, so I started right at the battery and, and went all the way through and just removed them all, you know, scuffed them all up, made sure they were all clean and tight. And uh, magically, the last few days, everything seems to be kosher. So really? I'm hoping that was my issue. I mean, that's what it acted like. It was Because oh. then later in the day, it started up just fine. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I did that. And then the other fun thing I did is I... I did some spring cleaning on Sunday, and I went through my attic, which is a, a hoarder's paradise of oh, new old stock Porsche parts. I want to go there. <laughs> and one of the things that I had still new in the box, and I thought, you know what? What am I doing? Like, I, there's this whole idea when you have like a new old stock part, you don't want to get it out. So I had a new old stock set of uh, Fuchs 16 by 9 930 wheels, uh, date what? stamped from oh, 1986. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know what? I have a car that needs these. (laughs) So what I did is I took them out and I, I ordered some new tires up from my friends at tire rack and had a set of tires mounted on my nine eighty. I have an 86, 944 turbo. So I moved the nine forty nine fifty one 951 fitment uh, eights to the front and put the nines on the back. And, Oh, it looks so good. And so then I got really inspired. And I, so I went on uh, at Suncoast and I ordered one of those 944 turbo graphics for the uh, passenger front fender. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was kind of my, like nice. I said, my transaxle week. I, I just worked on my two transaxle cars, which was kind of fun. So if you're a true hoarder, now you got to find another set of uh, NOS uh, uh, Fuchs to replace the ones you had to use. Well, I shouldn't admit this online, but I think I have somewhere in the order of about 20 sets of Fuchs. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. My uh, goodness. Not, not all new old stock, but I've got, you know, real 7Rs. I've got a, a set of deep sixes. I've got... Nathan's my um, hero. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I Here, Vu thought cards. that you were going to be selling them, but I nope. <laughs> no. You're using you know, so them. Funny. Good for you. You're using well, them. Well, what's hilarious is I have so many new old stock parts, and of course, I have plenty of cars that I could put them on. But then I, I get the part out and I look at it and I think, oh, well, is that car worthy? Like I found a new old stock set of uh, fog lights. Uh-huh. And so I decided I'm going to put those on my 76 Continental Orange 911, my mid-year. But even then I looked at them. I looked at the car. The ones on the car, they're okay. And I thought, yeah. wow, what the heck? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get them out. So I set them next to the car. That'll be one of my projects for the week is swap those. Nice. Very cool. So as Manny said, it was uh, you know pretty nice over the weekend here in Maryland. So I got inspired and I pulled out my pressure washer. Now I had I had like a 50 foot, I bought a replacement 50 foot pressure washer hose, wound it up in the fall. Now I'm pulling it out and it's still kind of cold out. It's not, it's, it's warm enough to wash a car. Uh, did you know there's a difference in pressure washer hoses? I didn't realize this because when I tried to unwind the new pressure washer hose that I bought, 
it was like hard plastic. Like it just would not unwind. I had to like mm-hmm. drag it out. Um, so I went on a upgrade uh, spree for my pressure washer. But obviously the temperature outside affects that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't think it would be like rock hard. So I went on YouTube and found um, there are definitely good hoses and bad hoses and hoses that are more flexible and don't kink. And so I got a uh, 25 foot of super flexible pressure washer hose. And then you kind of, well, since you're ordering that, I got a shorty spray spray trigger spray with a swivel in it. Mm -hmm. And I got some quick disconnect. So I'm hoping that the weather's nice again so I can put all that together. And give it a try. Um, I did want to ask Damon and Manny and Nathan. I came across something as you n- normally do watching YouTube that I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So if you guys know what AWC is, have you ever heard no, of I AWC? Know. Nope. What do we always talk about in terms of setting up a car for autocross, for track? What's like the most important thing? You, you do. Even the, if the car's stock. Don't get caught cheating? Brake pads? No. Tire pressure. No. Close. Close. Wheel alignment. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Of course, of we course, always talk yeah. about wheel alignment. So one of our sister companies, uh, Lamborghini, came out with AWC. And I think they talked about this came out in with Mercedes and F1. It's an active alignment. It's an active wheel carrier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you heard, heard about, about that this. before? Yeah. I haven't. I this was the first time. Well, I heard it probably when you did, roughly. Not not on YouTube. I just I read a headline, but yeah. But imagine, like we 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 set our cars up right, and we add camber, caster, tow in, tow out, and we set it up in hopes that when we run whatever, that's going to be the perfect alignment for mm-hmm. that ride. Yep. Well, these active wheel carriers are on the fly like it can change camber caster isn't that what lewis hamilton mercedes was doing well yeah but it was driver he pulled or pushed and it only did tow really or whatever tow effects as well but this is individual electronically controlled electronically gear driven yeah with the sensor individual wheels so imagine you going into a turn and the car can calculate maximum tire patch with mm-hmm. every single turn in yeah. milliseconds. When you're braking in a straight line, you know, close to zero yeah. camber. And then as you're starting the turn, it might negative camber on the outside and right. positive a little bit on the inside. And then or if, whatever you, it might if you, be. let's say you wanted your car to rotate more or turn in more, like you could dial in the specific custom yeah. alignment you want. That's yeah, that's insane. Cool. I've got a feeling Lamborghini, the way they're using it, it's probably not like that. They probably have set parameters, and if you're braking or turning, it probably automatically. Yeah. Adjusts. But just just think if they can make it a dependable, yeah, commercially available, can put on passenger cars or sports cars. Like that's a game changer. Like you will yeah. always have the perfect alignment, no matter what yeah. what condition. Not you're for performance, but tire wear, right? You never. Oh, that, that, well, I mean, you know, right? Yeah, right. That's that would be the big thing for everybody. Is you know, you hit a pothole, maybe your control arm gets bent by a couple of millimeters. Well, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It always <laughs> corrects. Are you yeah. you're, you're not you're not you, you don't seem too excited I, about. I'm just it. And, um, I'm just wondering why Lamborghini came out with this one. From what I see, most of their owners sit there just revving their engine. So I would think it'd be something more along the lines Maybe. of exhaust not catching on fire, not uh, yeah. not actually performance driving. Well, the reason why I'm excited is Lamborghini because they are in the family, so to speak, right? So hopefully that technology is going to trickle across 
the other brands. Like, man, like we. You already- know who we asked about this is uh, Mike Mike Levitus. Mike yeah. Levitus. He, he actually, in all seriousness, he yep. does. Um, uh, Lamborghini has a Trofeo race series. Oh, right. And he right, does right, a right. lot of uh, uh, Lamborghinis that yeah. he supports. So we should yeah. ask him about it. They they if that extends to their race series too. Yeah. Anyways, I just stumbled upon that, and I'm thinking, man, yeah. that would be such a game changer technology if it makes it to market for and I have nothing oh, yeah. against Lamborghinis. So <laughs> if I had a sound car to sound like that, I'd probably sit there just uh, they rubbing sound, my engine to my they heart. They do sound too. pretty amazing. All right. Um, at this point, let's just remind folks, uh, be sure to like and subscribe and comment. Uh, we really appreciate your support. And uh, we're getting inching closer and closer to that 100K for, for YouTube. And uh, your comments are really appreciated. We reach uh, read each and every one of them, and uh, we also respond online. So with that, Manny, we've got some data points that uh, thank you to Haggerty shared with us. You know what I didn't, uh, I didn't, I should have sent to Robert was, uh, so I came home the weekend of Scottsdale. Um, <laughs> I came home and I just turned on the television after cars and coffee. And as soon as I sat down, uh, uh, the auctions were on. And who I see, I look at it, I say my wife, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Nathan Murs on stage. <laughs> and I guess what threw me uh, off was there wasn't a Porsche on stage. It was a pickup truck. No, no, it was a Bronco. That's what it was. It was a Bronco. And I stared at it. And then I, luckily, you know, you can rewind on TVs now. So I rewound it and I took a picture of it. And then I sent that to him and Boo going, uh, I know this guy. You know, Nathan, we, we talked with him primarily about Porsches, but like, all of us here, he likes multiple brands, and in fact, he was able to secure something that uh, is near and dear to his heart because of his grandfather, I believe, right? No, well, the Bronco, uh, that was, uh, was that a retro? Uh, tell us about the Bronco first before we get into the world of Porsche. And the yeah, market. so this should be a disclaimer. You know, uh, Barrett Jackson generally isn't my scene, but it's a dangerous place to go if you love cars because... Lo and behold, I ended up buying something with no intent to buy something. But originally, I was at Barrett Jackson because just a lot of my friends, it's it's kind of the entertainment value. And a client of mine who wasn't in town at the time asked me to inspect a Bronco for him that he had some interest in. And it was a 76 Bronco uh, that was kind of lightly customized. It was done as a half cab and had more modern drivetrain. Pretty well done. And so he asked me to look at it. I inspected it and thought it was you know, fairly well done. And he said, well, can you bid and buy on, buy it for me? I said, sure. So lo and behold, we got up on stage to buy it. And um, my phone blew up. I guess pe- people watch, actually watch that broadcast because Manny texts me a couple like longtime friends yeah. of mine, like, hey, you're on TV right now. Uh, I kept so, on thinking, I know Nathan doesn't funny. drink that much, so it can't be the alcohol that made him do this. I'm just thinking about all these PCA <laughs> members and all that watching Barrett Jackson in their free time. Yeah, But yeah, entertainment value. It right? is. It, it is. is very yeah. entertaining. I love watching it. It is a little funny, but uh, what I ended up buying was actually pretty cool. For those of you who watch my YouTube uh, uh, channel or the, the videos that I make, you'll know I'm very insanely particular. And people are always shocked because, of course, predominantly I, I collect Porsches. But the favorite car that I own is a 1966 Ford F100. And it's a short bed, stepside truck, big block, three on the tree. Uh, that was my grandfather's truck. And so growing up, I just admired him greatly. And we spent a lot of time together uh, going camping and, and taking the boat out and, and doing that sort of thing. And so when I was 15, I was blessed that he uh, gave that truck to me. And so it means the world to me. It's again, it's my favorite car. I will give it to probably my youngest daughter. She seems the most interested in it. 
And for many years, I, I always wanted to, quote, restore the truck. And, and when I got it at age 16, of course, I had all sorts of dumb ideas. I wanted to convert it to four-wheel drive and put a big lift on it and 35s and, you know, some sort of, you know, big, you know, built-up motor and all this garbage. And didn't really have the, the resources to do it. And so there it sat. And then, you know, later on, I started thinking, well, it'd be kind of cool, put full air ride on it and have it lay frame and, and do that whole thing. <laughs> yes. And, um you know, I got busy with life and, and didn't do it. And I think that was a great blessing because now as I've aged and matured and now I'm a grandfather myself, one of the things that I think about is the, the connection to that vehicle, why it's so important to me is that, you know, my grandfather actually held that steering wheel and, you know, he rested his lunchbox on his way. He worked in a tool and die factory. So I was kind of a blue collar guy, worked for Stanley. And so his coat still hangs on the coat hook and, Aww. um, I actually drove him to his final resting place. I put his ashes on the passenger seat and I drove him to the cemetery in that truck. So um, I love the truck dearly. Uh, and so lo and behold, I get to the Bear Jackson and there's another 66 there done almost exactly the way I would do this truck if I felt that I could do that. And so when I saw it, I walked over to it and I usually figure at Barry Jackson, I'm going to get within 10 feet and then I'm going to start kind of dry heaving because the quality doesn't meet my standard. And the fatal flaw that day was this truck was unbelievable. I mean, everywhere I looked, the quality of the assembly and the work that was done blew my mind. And so lo and behold, the builder comes up and he's a 78-year-old guy who lives uh, north of Colville, Washington, which is in the northeast corner, which is where my grandfather spent his formative years. And so I thought, oh my God, it's like my sign. And so... I spent a lot of time talking to this guy and he spent, you know, told me everything about the build and what he'd done and he did everything himself. And so I thought, well, I guess I'm buying myself a truck. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of had a budget in mind and I kind of said a little prayer that it would be under budget. And um, luckily it did come under budget. I spent a lot more money than I had planned to spend earlier that week, but um, I was super thrilled. So now I have my grandfather's original truck and then kind of the version of what I would have built had I had that possibility. So pretty wow, cool. That's, that's very cool. That's like the best of both worlds. You have what your grandfather drove. You didn't, you know, butcher it up, so to speak. And, but then you have the one that's customized. That's awesome. So have you, has the truck arrived? Have you put them side by side yet? No, it's supposed to arrive hopefully in the next day or two. So, okay. So, All looking forward yeah. to seeing photos of that. All right, Manny. Back to the data we got. So uh, uh, luckily, Nathan was there at the auction, and uh, um, uh, Scottsdale, I guess, kicks off in the U.S. the uh, the auction scene. We have Amelia Allen coming up uh, in uh, March, um, and Nathan gave me some bullet points of the stuff he got from Haggerty, I believe, mm-hmm. um, who gave him this data. Maybe Robert can bring it up. So Nathan, I'll let you uh, let you read it. Yeah. So it, real interesting. So big shout out to. Uh, John Wiley with Haggerty, he's kind of their data geek, and he's a friend of mine and lives local here in Seattle. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I have this kind of sensation, but I I wanted to have it actually backed up with some data. So he was able to gather this information. And really what I had seen is that over the years, the importance of the Scottsdale auction as it relates to the Porsche market seemed to have diminished quite a bit. So at its peak in about 2015 or 2016, it really was kind of Porsche central. And I really felt like it set the market for the year. It kind of set the tone and the temperature. 
And so I was always, uh, it was always a big deal for me to be there and go inspect all the cars and, and get a sensation of like, how's our year going to go? And I sort of noticed this trend really starting in about 2020. Uh, of course, we had COVID happening too, but the, the number of Porsches on offer seemed to be dropping. And I started seeing some, maybe some more notable Porsches, but just the everyday number of Porsches seemed to be decreasing. And so that's really what we saw was that there was a, a significant drop. Uh, the number offered has dropped 57% since 2019. So sort of interesting and total sales fell 35 or yeah, about 35%. So a pretty big drop, uh, even accounting for the fact the average price increased 50%. So uh, really what, what this data tells us is if you're a Porsche nut, the need to go to Scottsdale like it once was has sort of shifted and, and really the two auctions that matter uh, the importance of Amelia, I would say Amelia now has really become the epicenter. Um, and then, of course, Monterey, because it, it coincides with Car Week. And so uh, it's sort of an interesting change and a little bit of a bummer because living in Seattle, there is nothing better than going to Scottsdale in January to get out of this hellhole I live in, which is all gray. And please, no one ever move to Seattle. It's a terrible place. <laughs> he loves it. He's just trying to keep you out. I know that game. I know that game. But it game. is very gray. Although I'm getting blasted with sun in my window right now. Yeah. I should put my shade up. But So when you said the, the drop, is it in, in total cars or were you just talking specifically about Porsches? Uh, with Porsche. So, but the total number of cars has, has dropped as well. Yeah, the total number and, dropped, but the... The Porsches that have dropped have dropped more, you know, percentage-wise from what it sounds like, right? I think exactly. You said. And if you understand the history of, of Scott, mm -hmm. you know, roughly 15 years ago, a lot of the more predominantly European-focused auction companies like, you know, Bonhams and RM and Gooding arrived on the scene. And it seems like they're stepping out, so... Gooding wasn't there this year. Haggerty's offering with Broad Arrow was not there. Uh, Bonham's sale was pretty lackluster. And then RM was there, but they didn't really seem to bring the heat like they have in the past. They had some interesting cars. We'll talk about those. So really, again, I think the if you're wanting to sell uh, an important Porsche at one of the catalog sales, I think really where it needs to be right now is either Amelia or uh, Monterey in August. I think those are your two times. You know what this uh, data sort of might might hint at is, uh, I wonder if you would agree, is that um, for a while people were selling Porsches maybe partly because they could get so much money for them. Um, and maybe now those people now have those Porsches and they don't feel like selling, except for you know a handful of the really important ones. You know, I think it's actually, I would say this is more indicative of the... Uh, the impact of bring a trailer, particularly in the Porsche space, oh. you know, Porsche mm -hmm. is by far bring a trailer's most important brand by leaps and bounds. Mm, yeah. And so they have done really well on kind of your average to quite good, but not insane dollar cars. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things you see the catalog sales have still done quite well with the seven figure Porsches mm -hmm. where bring a trailer has done well with them, but really hasn't fully arrived on that scene, but they're, they're right there. Mm -hmm. Whereas the typical, say, $100,000 1972 911 T Coupe, that used to be a catalog sale car. And that really is a bring a trailer car now. So they're, they're struggling to get those types of cars 
at these catalog sales. So I can only think that uh, with Amelia Allen uh, being split, and by split I mean uh, you know R.M. Sotheby's uh, leaving Amelia Allen and now starting their own event down in Miami on the same weekend as Amelia Allen, um, and thus you have a com- competing auction that are really nowhere close to each other, even though it's Florida, one's Southern Florida, one's Northern Florida. Um, it's going to hurt. It's it's like a race when two people are, are racing each other. The guy that's uh, benefiting is the guy right behind him because he's gaining on him. And, and I look at that as bring a trailer then or online auctions. Um, you know, while we're watching these two giants uh, battle out of live auctions, um, it sounds like they're going to be hurting themselves. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, split? You know, it's an interesting strategic decision, and obviously I, they did call and consult with me, so uh, only they know why they did that. It's an interesting one. It's a it's a risky play. I mean, to your point, you're basically asking the customer base to make a decision about where they're going to go, and I understand why they are. Uh, you know, obviously Haggerty now owns the Concours, and Haggerty is the major backer with Broad Arrow Group, and so... You know, and Broad Arrow was formed with a lot of former RM people. So I think there's a sentiment of, hey, we're going to go out and make our own mark that's not connected with anything uh, aligned with Hegarty. But if you're a car person, exclude all the, the information about the companies themselves, and you think, okay, I just want to go see great cars, and I have a, a weekend to do that. Well, if I go to Amelia Island, I have the Concours. I, of course, have Works Reunion, which is a killer mm-hmm. event. That's uh, what I heard. So I've got that. And then I have the other auction houses that are going to be there. And so to me, it would be a hard sell to jump to Miami. And if I was a consigner, particularly in that first year where it's a proof of concept idea, I would be really hesitant to, to list a car to sell there. Um, and, and I think very highly of RM. I will say that I think they're a very well-run organization, and they they put on a great show. They had by far the best auction in Scottsdale, and they always have a great auction in Monterey. Uh, but this Miami one will be an interesting one. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on to give uh, your uh, your your take of the auctions uh, uh, with the Porsche market after uh, after Amelia Allen. Are, are but you, are... we we did find some cool Porsches uh, that uh, that you were able to inspect. At Scottsdale, um, that Robert, uh, which one do you want to start off with? Uh, or actually, did we cover all the bullet points? We did. We did cover. Okay, yep. good. So we'll start. Oh, yeah. Nathan sent me a picture of this, and uh, I-, I thought he saw it in the parking lot, but it was actually an auction car. And so right before the show started, we were talking about uh, that there had to be two people who fell in love with this car. Wow. Yes. That car is a lot. It's the price that gets me. That's what I've been saying. That's what I thought, Damon, too. That uh... so let's describe the the car to our (laughs) listeners because it is a heavily modified 911 of sorts with lots of. It's just it it needs a little bit more Porsche uh, crest on it. I think they were a little bit uh, uh, stingy with that. They need some more Porsche crest. So Nathan, can you walk us through this car? Well, I'll tread. Lightly, because, of course, you know, cars are highly taste driven. You know, I can say to the majority of the Porsche faithful, they would find this car outside the bounds of what is generally considered uh, good. Right. Uh, But clearly, at least two people were excited about the build. It was a build done by a 
what I would t assume is a fairly high-end hot rod customization shop. So it did reflect a, a large amount of work and fabrication to make this car happen. Uh, but yeah, the execution is such a mishmash of, you know, various modalities and ideas across various genres. I can't quite figure so, out what this car so is, but... Robert, can you just give us the front shot? Let, let us share with the listeners the front. So here's here's an exercise where they've taken probably some pretty cool parts from, you know, different catalogs, and they kind of put a bunch of them together. And you can see some kind of inspiration from other models. And they modified it because I've and never they, seen yeah. that bumper on any other car. So, so what year is this car? It looks like a longer, doesn't it? 1970. I think it's a 1970. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So this this was a very uh, um, I see some body kit in there with the uh, what looks like the fog so it's lights. Got a, it's got an aftermarket <laughs> bottom bumper. It's got Frenched in driving lights in the front. But fenders. the aftermarket bottom bumper is like for a car that is water cooled. Yes. Because it is water cooled. It, this I guess it would make sense they would use a late model um, bumper. It's got and Damon should like it. It's got a, a fitment for a center radiator, Damon. Come on, <laughs> it does. Look at that. I, I don't, wouldn't even have to do it myself. It's got yeah. um, aftermarket headlights on it. And so, the little LED lights on the splitters. Did you notice that? Yep, yeah. Yep. Now, the thing is that the execution, like the craftsmanship on this car is probably bonkers because if you look at that, the long hood, if you go zoom out there, Robert, I mean, that bead that runs you know down the center of that long hood like that is not easy to do they added a crease where they added a crease so I, never thought I, can about see, I can see some extremely questionable panel gaps at the front of the hood and on the sides you know the the nose right, of the hood where it closes um which is always kind of a sign that i look for about maybe you look at it, is, it right yeah however <laughs> the everything looks high quality high quality materials to me it is just the exact opposite direction i would ever take Hey, a car I mean, like that personally. Uh, yeah, you look no. at his gaps. I look at his. I think they did that on purpose for air inlet. To uh, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what they'll probably <laughs> it's, tell it's, me. It's got, <laughs> it's got interesting uh, mesh wheels with continental tires, and the, they actually want to make sure you know that they're continental tires. Is the hood? Is the yeah. roof scoop functional? Or I'm trying to see I if I can see. So. No, it's just I, I a. Uh, so. Like the side, event. the side mirrors are pretty cool. Um, yeah, there's, there's extra. Well, and portion. it's a, it's a 918 RSR 3.8 something, something on the uh, side. LS3. Oh, RSR backslash LS3. Yeah. That rear Porsche model. So, so what they're referring to is the graphics on the door at the bottom. It says Porsche 918 RSR. I don't know where the 918 came from. Um, I can kind of see RSR because of the wide body and obviously the LS3. Do you of, think, you know, do you think they realized that Porsche actually made a 918 RSR? Uh, Remember yeah, the one that we saw in right. the, the I one know, but I, I can't say this car is inspired by that. So no. 911, 918 cylinder is probably what that means, right? Oh, maybe. Maybe yeah. they, but the maybe they didn't realize in 918. Yeah. The looks a... like it has some pretty high-end leather and lots of, what's it, tufting or whatever you call it. Yeah. <laughs> more more badges on the on the headrest. Um, it looks like it's got, oh, the the uh, front the frunk. Has a center. I think fill. Boris Eberdrink has uh, mm -hmm. some competition and exclusive here. <laughs> yeah. uh, the yeah. interior a lot. Um, again, you know, hey, if that's what you like, more more props to you that you found a car that you like. 
Well, one of the things I thought was really interesting when I walked up to the car, I assumed it, you know, someone had just spritzed it down with some like spray detailer or something on the front and just not wiped it off the hood. Uh-huh. And so I just took the, my sleeve and kind of wiped it off. So it wasn't like that. And then when I came back, it had reappeared. It was, it was tears coming out of the Porsche crest. Oh, <laughs> The car was crying. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> so, the, the, so uh, Robert, if you go to the rear shot, looks like they Frenched in some late model nine nine seven or nine nine six taillights. I'm trying to figure out what car it. Yeah, I was like, going to say. Yeah, nine nine seven. Nine nine seven dot two. Nine nine seven dot two tail. It's got a it's got a duck tail, but then it has uprights that has this ginormous wing. It on has the back. arrow underneath of it. Has arrow underneath. Um, it has another Porsche crest Frenched into the ducktail. I mean, this car was a lot of work. What what did what did it sell for? One hundred and twenty five was it? One hundred and ten thousand. One hundred and ten. I would, I, you know, I would say to you, like, you that's couldn't not build my, it for that. You couldn't build it for that. Like, that's mm-hmm. not my cup no. of tea. Yeah. But if someone liked it, and if especially if they were coming from, say, a hot rod world, but they wanted a Porsche that was kind of a hot rod, like I can totally see why someone would go, "That's for me." And then for one hundred ten thousand dollars, there's no way that you could build that car for one hundred ten thousand yeah. dollars. From so, behind the wheel, I bet I bet it's great. In I, the bet sense you, that I bet you to it's drive. Quick. It's probably super I bet fast. You it's quick. It's probably a yeah. completely different experience from a typical nine eleven. But hey, well, I think one of the things too, it's um, we could discuss a little bit, and I discuss this with the clients all the time, is that depending on what Porsche you have, you got to know your audience, and so. Like if this car, for example, appeared on Bring a Trailer or showed up at Rurik's reunion, it, it would be very, very painful to be the owner because the negativity and the nastiness around it would be, it would be horrible. People would be, not be very kind. That's one thing in, in our Porsche world. Sometimes we're not kind to anything that doesn't fit cleanly in the box. And so know your audience. And so bring, uh, the thing about Barrett-Jackson is their demographic will buy a car like this. And yeah. so if you get an outlier this is the place you take it. So mm-hmm. again, like I, I sold a car a couple, well, maybe last year at, at Barrett, and it was a 911 SC Targa that was converted into a, a turbo look cab. And it was exceptionally well done, but I knew what would happen is the Porsche purists would snub their nose at it. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll take it to Barrett-Jackson, and the car did really, really well. So mm-hmm. I bet you just, that car would do well at Unstock. Yeah, just just with the modifications, people would appreciate all the modifications. Again, the total build might not be your cup of tea, but all the you know the things that you've uh, done to the car. All right, so next one we have looks like a seventy-four nine eleven. Oh yeah, this car. Okay, now here's another example of know your audience. This was a situation where this was not the right venue for this car. So and unfortunately, uh, is it a coupe? No, it's just for our audience that's not watching YouTube. It's a '74 coupe. Is that Peru red? It's Peru red. It's just yeah. a base 911 coupe. As you know, I love those cars. You could watch my mid-year video. But the unfortunate part is that, you know, what Barrett Jackson does is when you submit your car, this was just submitted by an individual. You can tell who took, you know, photos on their. Uh, iPhone generation five or something right out in the bright sunlight in their driveway and the car doesn't show well. But what was interesting is I walked past this car and the car was exceptionally nice. Oh. Like, like a, mm. uh, you could have taken this car to a uh, PCA Concours and with a few minor changes, the car would have been a contender in preservation, all original paint, spectacular interior, uh, very impressive car other than somebody 
uh, decided to paint the cooling fan red, but that's an easy change. And so I think that car, while it did okay, you know, okay there, I think if a Mark expert would have been presenting that somewhere else, I think it would have done even better. And that car went for what, 70? Yeah. Yeah. 70,400. So that, that was well bought, I think, because again, it was the wrong venue and it, it was presented poorly. I mean, look, you can't even, in that picture we're showing right there, you can't even see the interior, which was rusted and, oh, so good. You know, what gets me uh, about this car versus the last one we saw, uh, saw probably, again, points out just the venue, but, you know, $110,000 for, a, you know, a long hood 911 that's been that modified. I feel like if it weren't in Barrett-Jackson and maybe you were looking at, you know, a more traditional Porsche enthusiast, I don't know if they would even consider buying it, you no, know, unless, it, unless it were like two thirds less money. No, no, no. Whereas this car at Barrett-Jackson is something I think more people in the Porsche enthusiast community would be more likely to buy was what, $40,000 less yeah, because I, I think the yeah. crowd it's not, it's not flashy enough for it's not flashy enough. Uh, yeah. This yeah. car looks this yeah. car looks like a base model car. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't and like, as soon as they hear the horsepower, then any illusions of what they think yeah. of Porsche is and, and I, I think down the drain. The presence, you know, there's there's people that appreciate a you know a genuine original car. And to be honest with you, to the masses, when you roll up, let's say you roll up roll up to your favorite restaurant, that other car versus this car, the other car is going to get all the attention. You know, yeah, and true. I think. A lot of buyers kind of gauge their interest um, accordingly. So, oh, very cool. Well, goodbye for whoever got it for seventy. Um, yeah. Next, we have uh, was it nine nine six? Yeah, oh, this, this is your car, Vu. Ninety nine. I feel like arena oh. red. It looks like it's an arena red coupe. Ninety nine. Ninety nine. So, a lot of these don't. You. They don't list mileage on them, though. Uh, some of them do. Let's see. This one doesn't say in the description. So this one looks like it needs a coolant tank. <laughs> I can see from the photos there. Yeah. But, so, Damon, um, this is like so typical because like you'll say this seems like such a good buy. And this is why you have to go in person and see yeah. these cars. Uh -oh. I was going to say 23000 for that, to me, just looking on the surface, looks great. Yeah. So the we'll pause on that All right, photo. Dave, we all swipe yeah. right on this one. Is that the good one? Swipe right or swipe, swipe right as if you like. <laughs> swipe left as if you don't like. Okay, so we swipe right. Yeah. Now what what was wrong with this one? So so can can we can we play a quick game? Just look at it real quick. Let's throw out what we see True. what's wrong with the car. Like headlights are dull. Yep. Right? Um I don't think the silver at the bottom of the bumper is correct with the third I don't know if there's a third radiator opening or not. No, it looks that, I mean, that, there's that, an that opening but it looks blocked. That doesn't look right. The um the coolant tank was definitely very yellow, so probably original and never been changed. Um what else? All right. Did we see anything else, Manny, Damon, on the car? No, I mean, overall, you look at the pictures, and aside from the headlights, which is totally awesome. I, I picked great. it because it looked like a pretty good buy. Interior looks pretty decent. I would say maybe 70,000, 80,000 miles on it. Yeah, so that would be my guess. All right, so, so, so what's the reality? So, so you saw the car in person. <laughs> the paint does not look very good. The paint looks like it's got lots of um, swirl marks and not necessarily prepared. Yeah, so Nathan, I mean, it's, the best way I would describe it is it was a, we'll call it a 20-foot driver, the kind of car you'd buy on Craigslist, right? Mm. It's yeah. um, Rob's car. It wasn't a terrible car, 
it just no, he just wrote he he just rob rob's car is like this sorry to interrupt you but i'll, I'll say um he just wrote about uh, an article that'll be coming out soon about how it's great to have an imperfect 911 so hmm, this is kind of like that but sorry <laughs> i had to get yeah that i mean there. the only thing is you know you don't want to buy an imperfect 996 that you can't inspect mechanically because of course ah. you know if the car is mechanically great uh maybe 23s okay i mean it wouldn't excite me but you can find this car all day long on craigslist at least then you can go out and inspect it drive it do a ppi mm. whereas it's just too risky i mean if you didn't have any ethics as an example if you had a 996 that had uh, any mechanical issue that you knew is looming well this would be a great venue to offload it because people can't drive or inspect it i mean they can look at it but that's mm -hmm. it so and it's an as-is sale. So to me, that's too risky of a buy at the bottom of the market yeah. when that wouldn't be a hard car to find on your local Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, you know, offer up, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Um, our next one, we're talking about a Turbo. This one, a 2001 Vintage. And this was RM Sotheby's. That looks like yeah. a nice car. It's, it's uh... Lapis Blue, is it? Yes. Lapis Blue. Uh, yeah, this was an interesting car. As you guys know, I also like these cars. I have that 996 Turbo video, and I'm personally, um, I prefer the 2001 model. I'm kind of an outlier on this. I own a 2001. It's featured in my video. And so when I saw this car, I thought, I want to really look at this car closely. Lapis Blue is a great exterior color. Well, nicely and, detailed, nicely photographed. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice car, um, very low miles, 6,500 miles. Oh. But the wood in the interior. The interior is an interesting one. That, that first off, the graphite gray is a tough sell. Although it does have a couple things that are kind of nice. Like I do like the the paint mat center console, and I do like the deviated blue carpets. Although they should have blue floor mats. The gray floor mats are are kind of a, a bad contrast. Mm -hmm. And I'd also lose the aftermarket aluminum pedal covers. But one thing that's interesting is the car got the large light burr wood package which in the market generally is viewed as a negative for two reasons one it's not good looking for most people they feel like it doesn't fit the genre of the car yeah, it doesn't um, fit. Yeah. and but it was an expensive option it was like a seven thousand dollar option but the biggest issue with that wood package even if you like it is that it fails on it any cracks. surface that's exposed to any UV. So, yeah. uh, for example, the trim strip on the top of the dash had been, already been removed, and they filled it in with some weird kind of felt to cover that up. And then there was some cracking starting on the top of the steering wheel. But the, top, the door tops of the um, door pockets were so heavily cracked, they had a little sticker on the passenger one that said, don't open, because if you open it, it would have peeled the wood off of it. Uh, well, so when someone... 6,500 miles. Yeah, so it's just yeah. cracking is just due to age, yeah, not use. Yeah, no. but the car, conditionally, if you exclude the wood, was quite nice. You know, it could use a few little things, but I would I would definitely grade the car a two. So it's a very, very nice car. And so that that price, the 103 that it sold for, I think that's about in line. Um, although, again, that's a car probably would have done about the same number on bring a trailer so that that might have been a better venue although people would have been pretty harsh about the wood mm. so like if i owned that car i probably would you know change all the easy trim things back to just the original uh gray plastics and then i'd probably leave the brake and shift knob would be okay but 
I would take it all. all every, anything that's wood on the interior, I would take it out, put it in a box for the next owner, and just put the regular leather or yeah. regular yeah, black. We, we actually reviewed yep. or Manny drove a car, um, a local member, who had to replace all the wood in his 996 Cabriolet. Yeah. Um, he replaced Oof. the wood not even that long ago, two or three years ago. Yeah. I don't remember the, the price, but I want to say that that was like well over $10,000. Now, Nathan, um, we, you talked about the wood cracking just because of age. Uh, that same vintage car, if it had the carbon fiber option, don't those crack just as easily? Yep. Yeah. So in those cars, unfortunately, you don't really want to buy the ones with either carbon or wood. They're just ripe for failure. So the only other options you could have, they have an aluminum trim uh, mm-hmm. package, which doesn't fail. But to me, it's ugly. So roll that one out in my book. The leather options are quite nice. But again, you know, leather in places where you get a lot of UVs challenging as well. So like my personal 996 is every inch of that car is covered in some sort of optional leather. So I'm panicked to leave that car. Luckily, I do live in Seattle where it's rarely sunny. So um, but yeah, kind of a risk on those cars. All right. Next one is another RM Sotheby's car, a 72 911T coupe in a beautiful blue color what blue is that um so this car is in gulf blue which of course is a is a great uh porsche color G-U- i'll give a huge shout G-U-L-F? out yeah, g-u-l-f yep g-u-l-f okay yep which actually porsche makes a color called golf blue g-o-l-f as well but Much the historic color is golf blue which golf with the o was actually uh, I saw it for the first time at Works Reunion Monterey. I think it's in our video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's about a shade darker than Porsche Club Blau, yep. but in that yeah. similar vein. Um, but yeah, this car. A huge shout out. A friend of mine actually sh- uh, took the photos of this car. His name's Mike Bolt, an amazing photographer up in Vancouver, Canada, and that's where the car came from. I had actually seen this car in person prior oh, to the oh, auction, and then also inspected it at the auction. Uh, great color, sports seats in Pepita. So the car had a lot of visual pop through the grill fog lights. A close inspection revealed that it's a, I would say, a, a quite good car, but but not a world class car. So you is know, that a three good. car or two car? I would call it a two minus three plus okay. kind of car. Um, definitely a car that would be nice to have, nice enough you could drive and enjoy it, but not be in a panic about the car. So I think a pretty good fit for the vast majority of possible buyers. And the car did a, a market correct 1288, mm. which is pretty strong money for a 72T. Uh, but the 72Ts are kind of unique because uh, only in the US did the 72 key get MFI fuel injection. In Europe, they were still carbureted. So it's kind of a, a unique model. And then they just did that through early 73, and then the 73 and a half went to CIS. So kind of a neat car. I actually own a 72T MFI car. Um, just, just sort of a, a fun thing. And people like, of course, the oil clapper, the outside oil filler, mm-hmm. great color. And if you're looking for a bargain in today's market, long hood cars, particularly original cars, are, are fairly soft right now. And so I think this car would have done 155 three years ago. So I think it's down about 20% from its peak. So when I uh, was looking at the cars that uh, were picked for today's podcast, um, the first one we looked at, that heavily modified one, it kind of made me think, what's the price and how much did a similar year car in original condition go? And again, this is one of those comparisons 
uh, where I'm I'm thinking to myself, an all original or very close to original seventy two, the most coveted year, at least here in the U.S. Um, with its you know oil cap opening on the passenger fender uh, in a great color, great condition, a driver as you said, you know two or three, uh, you know number two or three condition, and only ten or fifteen thousand dollars more than that LS car. It's just so crazy to me. I mean, it's think. Diff- different taste for different people. Yeah, I'm sure they started off with the car that was probably trashed yeah. when they modified that car. I don't think they started with a car yeah, like perhaps. this. No, I'm just thinking You're of the just thinking of spending money. Spending, yeah, like money spending the, your money yeah. and thinking, you know, this original awesome looking car versus something that's been 100% modified to where it's not the same car anymore. Yeah, but then to the other oh, person in, the, in their minds, they go, you know, I kind of have an air-cooled look, but I have the reliability and yeah. horsepower and I don't have of to an build LS1. it for $200,000. It's already built, and it probably, it'll smoke that original car. It's, it you know, will. It, you know, yeah. it's so much faster. And so you know, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's what you like, right? So yeah, what, no, definitely. kind of a weird nit for me when I looked at that car was the, um, so it's got the Papita, uh, inserts black and white, but then the cocoa mats that they chose to have in the car are black and tan. Like, wouldn't we? Why wouldn't you just do black and white cocoa mats? I know it's a little nit, but it's a detail I saw. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Vu, uh, those uh, cocoa mats. I think they were even an advertiser with PCA for a they couple are. hundred bucks. You could so change you, that. You can change it. I know. I know. But not like, everyone can see colors like you can. Oh, no, sorry, no, no, he, yeah. Here's what I'll say about that. But now, so. now that you see it, can you unsee it? You're just like it just doesn't match. So if, actually, if, this is Vu is a good time for me to introduce the possibility. There's an easy way for you to afford these new cocoa mats. I don't know if our PC audience is aware, but I do want to let them know that you've taken up a new modeling gig, and I I keep this photo <laughs> on my desk, and it's Vu. That's his, that's it's his, it's uh, close to my heart, photo. right here. Oh my gosh! And uh, here he is. It's even signed. I'm going to offer this up to the highest bidder on the <laughs> I show. I can't believe so you have here that you are with you right now. So oh, I love Nathan it. Is I, holding I, I up. sleep with it. Okay, that's now that now that's a little disturbing. Nathan, you got to get like the stuffed doll version of that. So Nathan is holding up this little eight by ten that my friends made up when we were on the cruise, and they said you got to sign these because people are going to want it. And I'm like, whatever. And it's just a funky. I've got like a disco outfit on, so it might have uh, uh, at least I know you have it. And you didn't just chuck it, so at least that's that's cool. Uh, All right, right let's go. Desk, let's go to the next one. This one was a car out of Bonhams, and it's a G body cab uh with uh, it's a it's a white vehicle i'm just uh looking at it very quickly it's got late model 18 inch wheels it's got um the sticker in front of the rear wheel that i don't believe is factory it's got a really You're high about the shark fin yeah it's got and a really the price it's got a really high ride height um yeah so how much did it go for Thirty-seven thousand dollars. The steal. What's a, wrong? What's wrong with it? It's a steal. <laughs> that you is, got you got uh, you got a lot left over to bring it back to normal. All right. This so educate us, Nathan. Why car. that car, car goes so cheap? I, I'm saying it politely. It's a terrible car. <laughs> like it's just. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, look at the photos closely, and you'll get a sense. If Robert goes to the photo, like of the, the so the driver's is not seat. the is not the right script. Like that's not the original script. Oh, don't even go there. Go to the one where Robert show where it shows the side of the driver's seat, like where the seat controls are. Uh-huh. It's driver's just that that'll give you some. I see basic the wiring, sense. wiring hanging down from the dash. 
Uh, on, the but... top's probably not in the best of condition. It's just, oh, oh, there we go. Okay, so... that photo there basically summarizes the car. That tells you everything you need to know. So what we're looking of... at is at the, on the side of the driver's seat where you have the controls. And, and I'm betting they tried to tuck it in, and they lost the screw, and they put it back together and realized they couldn't. Uh, yeah, and the, the leather like has that. come loose from behind the controls. Yeah, and then the next yeah. photo is how it's supposed to be, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. but I mean, that, yeah. okay, so that looks bad, but fixable. I mean, it's still thirty-seven. If it's like that around the whole car, then I can get why it's. Yep. Yeah, really it's one bad. of those cars that every surface you look at, there's something wrong, and so you just uh, think, well, but, but okay. To Rob's point in his article, I could see myself dealing a car like that. True. That I don't have to worry about a whole bunch, mm. and uh, it it already comes with uh, flaws pre-installed. You're not going to do anything worse to it, right? Well, I'm going to change the wheels. I'll change the wheels to period correct. But after that, so I'm, I'm guessing it has it. a dash cover because it has dash cracks. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, and it's one of those things. Don't assume that all the flaws are are aesthetic. I'm a firm believer that aesthetic flaw usually is predictive of mechanical flaw, yeah. and that's because mm-hmm. it's a I it's a it. mindset. Someone who has all that other stuff going wrong with their car generally isn't very attentive on the mechanicals. That isn't always true. I was going to say, see, you're wrong with me because with my Z3, everything works fine mechanically. It's just the exterior I stop caring about. Yeah, or my Cayman. Oh, it doesn't a look Z3. bad, but it's not great. <laughs> uh, do we have an engine engine shot? Is that is that going to surprise us? I'm trying to find. I can't the even remember. A lot it, of photos. I, it always kills me that when people take photos to sell their car and they don't vacuum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I want to show it as. And this you, is uh, what well, is this um, Sotheby's or who's? I can't remember. This is Bonham's. Bonham's, sorry. Yeah. Because wow. uh, I was going to say, unless people don't, I mean, unless you're an enthusiast and you know, like those wheels aren't correct. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of people may think it looks great on the car. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of people that aren't. In you know the Porsche world enough, like I bought a set of Fuchs from a guy in DC because he upgraded to those very wheels. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I, he's uh, he's like, oh yeah, I'm getting rid of these wheels because they came with the car, and I just mm-hmm. put these really nice wheels off of whatever, and it was those same exact wheels. Like he loved them. Good for me because I got the wheels yeah. for fifty bucks. I would say that oh, top my. is fairly. It was replaced at some point because that rear window does not match. Uh, it doesn't look that good in real life. Oh, really? The top okay. is very tired. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, but let's move on. This man? car hurts Next my car. heart. Okay, all right. So let's move on to more modern cars. we got to do a live show with Nathan when we first encountered cars like this so we can capture the look in his face. <laughs> oh. <and> the, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this next like car wow. will be interesting for our buddy Paul Gentili because yes. he recently picked up a Cayman R, and so you're featuring a Cayman R from Barrett Jackson, and it's, uh, it's a white one that looks quite nice from the photos. That's sport buckets. Sport buckets. PDK, not stick, but uh, yeah. not bad either. Yeah. So this is oh. this is also an example of picking the right venue. So normally you would say, well, why would you put a Cayman R at Barrett? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But the car is sold for basically $65,000, which you think is, is low. However, comma, this was absolutely the right venue for this car because this car – and I think this is a this is a good thing. I'm not knocking this piece, but this car had spent its life being run hard at the track. Oh, um, so when you saw the car in person, it has a cage in it or a half cage in the back, and you just look at, for example, the brake calipers and the rotors and the mods, and it's got wheel studs, and 
you could just tell like this car had been a, a track car, which is okay. Yeah. But almost anyone who is real discriminating on that car would have poo-pooed it for that reason, unless mm. they wanted to take it to the track. And so, yeah. whereas the Barrett-Jackson audience looked at it and said, oh, well, that's about the right price for a PDK Cayman R with that given mileage. Uh, but in person, you know, it just had a lot of edge to it because the car had been used, frankly, as it should have been used, which, mm-hmm. is, which is great. Uh, but it it wasn't a collectible quality car by any means. Now, I noticed there was covers over top the uh, side bolsters. Was that covering wear, or was that actually the owner's just uh, attention to the details? Uh, so when anybody climbed in, they weren't scraping their bolster? Yeah, it was. they were probably protecting it. I mean, the thing is, whoever owned the car clearly liked the car. I mean, it, it wasn't that. And again, they were using the car as design, which is a wonderful thing. It's just that... You know, if you were trying to buy a Cayman R from a collectability yeah. standpoint, uh, the one the one thing people I don't think know about Cayman R's, and I actually learned from an owner uh, on a review earlier, or I guess last year, um, is that the PDK in the Cayman R is not the same transmission or programming as in a Cayman S. Cayman R PDK transmissions are extremely expensive, and they're almost unobtainium. So the transmission itself is PDKs, different, not just software. I'm pretty sure it's software and transmission is different. Oh, hmm. interesting. So I wonder what the transmission is. That would mean a transmission would have a different number. Right. On yeah. it. it might, it's something to check, but, uh, or, or watch my video. I can see software would be, uh, I can see software being different, yeah. but I didn't think no, the there was something box much, is much different about the camera. Well, for those of you that are listening, if you yeah. do know, uh, it was Will share. Anthony actually, you shared that with me. Oh man, that. I uh, definitely uh, want one. <laughs> That's if it's really yeah. true. Yeah. I remember when yeah. Ars America, everyone thought they were seam welded, and yeah. that was a turned yeah. out to be false. So PDK in a Cayman R does feel better than PDK in a Cayman S from that era. It really does. So I saw a signature under one of the bonnets. You care to guess whose signature that is? Um, I flashed by pretty quick. It said Cayman R's rock, and it's our buddy, Randy Popes. Oh, uh-huh. so is no, Randy not Popes have driven this, huh? Yep. That looks yeah, like a Randy Pope signature. Oh. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, the next car we have, uh, also from Barrett Jackson, is a it looks like to be a nine nine three, a nine nineteen ninety six C four. Ooh, in a very pretty color. Yeah. So oh, polar yeah. silver, nine nine three C four, narrow body C four, but a little bit more unusual. And the car had like six hundred miles, and you know, overall the car six hundred miles total. Yeah. Total. This thing sold for yeah. two hundred and four thousand bucks. Oh, yeah, six hundred—that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, because I love nine nine threes, again, shout out, watch my nine nine three video, uh, mm-hmm. and I like cars that are all preserved. Uh, this car, you know, I I do believe the mileage to be accurate on the car. So mm-hmm. sometimes you get these little mileage cars, and I suspect that the mileage is not accurate. But on this car, I would definitely say that it was. Um, the only thing about this car is that it probably hadn't been stored all that carefully, um, which is sometimes the case when cars are in long-term storage. So it's definitely had paint work. And so if someone was looking for an all-original paint, this is not going to be it. So the left rear quarter has been painted, as well as the rear deck lid had some goofy repair. I should have sent you this photo, but someone did some sort of heat shrink under the rear deck. And so there's some heat damage and heat shrinking uh about the center of the rear deck oh i see uh, it it's like it's like a little indentation 
Um, you it? can't see it actually in the photo. Oh. I think that's a reflection, but oh. yeah, the, the, the paint in the rear deck meters in the mid twenties. So, um, my guess is something fell on it or something while it was in storage. Yeah, um, and then the other happens. thing that would, would hold this car back would be the interior color. You know, the light gray interior is not to a lot of people's, uh, taste. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that they cut this off in the photo, but the front bumper cover has quite a bit of uh, just road rash underneath it. Mm. Um, and you don't, you can't really see that. So it would definitely need a, need a Nathan Mers, uh, spending some TLC on it to bring it up, but the overall car, very, very good. And again, a lot of people would say, well, that's not a good fit for Barrett Jackson. I would argue that the Porsche nuts would have nitpicked the paintwork and some of the detailing items. And so I think 204, that was the right venue for that car. It wouldn't have done that, that money. I don't think it on looks BAP. like it had, um, Paint to, paint to match uh, calipers on it because they would have been black calipers, right? Oh, Manny, you're killing me here. Uh, no, actually, the, the 993 Career 4, uh, the narrow body cars, got silver brake calipers. Did they? Oh. As well as they got Career 4 unique. And I watched caps. your video three times. Too. Are you sure you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that in your video? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. C4 center caps. Yep. So it is correct. All right. Kind of cool. Okay, so I think this would be a good time to talk about our newsletters. If you haven't signed up for our newsletters, head over to PCA.org. We've got uh, eBreak News. We've got Mart Fresh News and Performance News. Just head over to PCA.org and get yourself signed up so you can get lots of information into your inbox. Um, let's see, do we want to move into recent videos? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm forgetting right now if we talked about the um bob i believe we did the bob miller video mm -hmm. with uh, the gt3 rs and uh cup but that is up uh, but what i'd like to talk about now is uh when we were at rensport reunion 7 um alois roof was there who's the founder and owner of roof automobile who made the uh, yellow bird fastest car of 1987 and continues to make some amazing amazing um automobiles using porsches as a base and we also had a uh, man named Don Maluzio, who is, I think, East Coaster, uh, like yep. us. Pennsylvania. And they own the last two 1963 901 prototypes. Uh, 901 being the name the 911 had before uh, Peugeot put an end to the zeros between two numbers. Um, and it's very interesting to see these two cars. They're number six and number seven on the prototypes. Um uh, or their prototypes number six and seven, they have five digit serial numbers instead of the six digits of the um, production 911s. And the features of the cars are totally different from what you'd see on a production 911. One has a BMW or has a DAS that has BMW gauges. The other is the first car that has the classic traditional five gauge um, dashboard, which Porsche still uses today. Um, you know, windows are different sizes, you know, parts might look the same, but they're not really. And what both of these cars show is that Porsche was, um, really experimenting with what they want the 911 to be when it finally hit the market. And it just happens to be that those two prototypes, which as far as we know, are the only two surviving prototypes are owned by super enthusiasts. So when you say, uh, so I've seen other 901s, mm -hmm. just because it's a 901 doesn't does not mean, mean it's a prototype. Does not mean it's a prototype. No, correct, yeah. Okay. 
Because yep. I saw like yep. the uh, Peterson has a 901. I saw one mm -hmm. at the Porsche Museum that they recently found and restoring. Mm -hmm. It is a 901, but it is not a prototype. I know Porsche no. tried to buy the red one, mm -hmm. but Don wouldn't sell, and they offered a good amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if they tried to buy Eloise's uh, blue car, but uh, yeah, I'm sure they would love to have one of the remaining uh, prototypes because it's hard to find a prototype. Sure. Yeah, and not to give away the complete video, but there's some details in there that you know, just like uh, Damon mentioned, the dash and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Like you got you got that car as a teenager, you didn't realize it, and you just drove it, and much like your your grandfather's uh, pickup, Nathan, that like you wanted to modify it, and mm -hmm. luckily he didn't have the time or whatever, and you yeah. just kind of left it alone, and then decades later you go back to it and you go, huh? Yeah. This is it's almost luckily the test driver crashed the car, and luckily he didn't have the resources to quote yeah. unquote fix it, fix it exactly, back in the day. <laughs> and modified it into a CTR or yeah. something. It's the... Yeah, if you watch the video, both gentlemen are great storytellers, and uh, I, I let a lot both of them just tell the story. I didn't uh, butt in and uh, um, uh, cut them off at their stories, and it's uh, very interesting how the, how these cars survived, and uh, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool to see uh, Eloise Roof talking about a car that isn't a roof yeah but you know how much he loves this car that uh you know eventually would start his family business and i yes. talked about the comments uh that people put on the video so many people put on there like how approachable he is and how much of an oh, enthusiast yeah. oh. he is uh, but in addition to that people were also enamored with the seats that you guys were sitting on like where did those seats come from <laughs> Uh, I, sh I showed up and Damon had them already so, in place. So uh, they were by a company named, uh, I believe it's Shield Man. So S C H E E L space M A N N. And um, so we were, this interview was kind of last minute. Like Roof happened to be there because that was the parking you could find at right. the BCA tent. And so I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to set things up. And a uh, friend and, you know, past contributor to PCA said, hey, you should just go around the corner and grab some seats if you need seats. Uh -huh. um, and so we did. Got and, nice ones. <laughs> yeah, we got really nice ones. Uh, when I'm now, when I was editing the video, I was kind of thinking, you know, as cool as those seats are, they are huge <laughs> on huge. camera. Exactly. I almost are. wish we had the little plastic seats just for yeah. the look, but I'm sure that Roof was more comfortable in that you, you both look very comfortable in the conversation so yeah yeah but uh, it's, it's good, great info and uh yes Aloise roof is a very approachable person enthusiast yep. and he held court in our uh our pca area for all, all day everyone who wanted to come up to take a selfie or get him to sign autographs or that, it was very cool to have him there very cool yeah all right, uh, let's go into uh, – we have one one news item, and it has to do with the Taycan. Yes, so Taycan um, was announced on Tuesday that it would be updated for 2025. And that means, in a nutshell, more power, more standard equipment, um, better battery tech. The battery is more powerful while being lighter. It charges faster. It can. It's more optimized for 400 volt charging. All Tycons now will have air suspension standard. But if you want the, if you remember some of the videos when the Tycon was teased uh, a little while back, you'll probably remember that it looked like a low rider with hydraulics on mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. So if you want the active ride suspension, which the car will be more proactive in keeping the car flat and comfortable. That's an option on all-wheel drive models. But they all have air suspension starting in 2025. Um, the big 
news when it comes to performance, it's it's interesting. I couldn't get horsepower numbers. Um, so the Turbo S will have 938 horsepower, mm-hmm. which is up from 750 American horsepower, 761 um that's insane. Uh, metric horsepower. That's insane amount of horsepower. In launch control mode. Mm. The rear motor on all the cars is also more powerful, up to a certain amount of horsepower more. I think it was 100-something horsepower more, which means that maybe not all Tycons get the same output for that rear new rear motor. Um, but I couldn't find horsepower for when you're just driving around, horsepower for peak horsepower for launch control, which I believe is different from the new boost function. So you push the like old 911 turbo, older 911 turbos had the, and still do have the overboost button mm-hmm. for 20 seconds of more power. Tycon has that for 10 seconds now. So I'm sorry if I don't have all the info, but man, that press release and all the material, they did not mention horsepower except for the peak power for the Turbo S. Huh. So we're thinking around 400 or so in everyday conditions for the Tycon base model with rear-wheel drive and probably was it 60 kilowatts, so like 80 horsepower more during launch control. That's plenty so for me. So it starts at about 400 <laughs> horsepower now. That's um, plenty. But yeah, uh, once we get those horsepower numbers, um, I will list them in the article. But uh, yeah, not quite sure it's what happened. It's funny how everyone asks about horsepower, but they also ask about range. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the horsepower, you're using all that power. It obviously, it's really uh, digging into your range. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, I mean, more horsepower means... You know they're doing something more efficiently, so I'm sure if you don't drive the car super hard, it's it'll give you better range. But but it can yeah. charge faster now too. Yep, charge faster, which is a big to me. That's uh, yeah. ten to eighty percent. People more to electric cars. Yep, ten to eighty percent. Um, for the larger hundred five kilowatt hour performance battery plus, um, ten eighty percent in eighteen minutes. I believe it is seventeen eighteen minutes. Sixteen minutes. Sixteen. 16. Well, it's eighteen in the article because that's what was in the. Press release, so I, I wonder which press release Six, they're 16 reading. Sixteen to eighteen. Well, yeah, yeah. 16 I think they that they uh, when I watched the video, they invited, which was interesting. They invited a bunch of foreign journalists mm-hmm. to test drive the car from uh, L.A. to San Diego, with mm-hmm. the emphasis on range. Yeah. So the recuperation goes from two ninety kilowatts, I believe it is two ninety to four hundred kilowatts. So when you're braking and charging while you're driving, recuperating energy way more than it used to be um charging is up to 350 kilowatts on an 800 volt charger uh used to be 270 so the battery tech is a lot better it sounds like um and lighter weight so um really comprehensive update but you're also going to be paying 10 to fifteen thousand dollars more you know the um it's in the article, but uh, a base Tycon was like 90, now it's 100, or mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Which explains why Tycons are so down, uh, the prices have come down a lot on the dealer lots, uh, because they're the obviously ones, trying to get out rid yeah. of the old ones, bring in the new ones, yeah. uh, so if you can live with the older Tycon. Yeah, but really comprehensive update, you know, styling updates, but I think it's the battery tech and performance, and, um, you know, better interior. Speaking of tech, uh, there is one more news item, and it has to do with Apple CarPlay. Yeah, so they're uh, getting deeper and deeper into what uh, CarPlay can do uh, and and uh, being able to use your phone with it. One example they use, which uh, this, I'm not sure, I, I would imagine Tesla had this, so people who drive Teslas are probably yawning and saying no big deal. 
Uh, but now they're going to be able to give that information to you on your iPhone. So you can sit back and be told and watch the charging progress of your of your car without even having to look at your phone. Just look at your uh, mm-hmm. Apple phone. And uh, it's uh, Apple CarPlay. It basically tells you in the article how much more it can do than just uh, selecting songs mm-hmm. or uh, navigation. Mm-hmm. It's pretty uh, in-depth. You know, it sounds like the new updated 2025 Taycan is going to be a lot closer to the Tesla Plaid that we hmm. experienced a week or two ago. I'm sure in, in, their, in their focus groups, that's one of the things that uh, future yeah. customers are asking for is more controls, uh, especially remotely, you know, where you can turn your car on, you can set climate control, you can set the whole car up from your phone before you get in the car. Yep. So from our from our last um, podcast, uh, one of our listeners put a question up there about, you know, why isn't the ICE version of the Macan uh, updated and able to be accepted to be sold alongside the Macan E in the EU? So I made some phone calls and um, I found an article and it has to do with not necessarily transmitting data, but it has to do with the ability to stop cyber attacks on the car. And so just wanted to answer that question for uh, our listener. And the reason Porsche knew that this was coming, Mm -hmm. but they thought their ICE Macan would be finished because of the regulation. So there was, and it's not cheap to do this for the ICE cars. So uh, because they had already said, we're not going to develop this platform anymore. We're doing EV. And so when they realized they still, they could still make the gas cars, um, they didn't. It's just not financially. Uh, doesn't make sense for them to go back and try to get the ice cars to comply with the European rules. And they just uh, decided to keep it on the electric cars and then the ice cars as long as countries like Britain yeah. and uh, the United States um, don't have those cybersecurity rules, and they'll keep on selling cars there. So exactly. to put, put it succinctly, it just sounds like the um, internal combustion macan is just more vulnerable to hacks and cyber attacks than no, what no. the EU would allow well, going forward. It doesn't meet the standards that the mm-hmm. EU is requiring now. So, so it's like it's a way the way I looked at it is like it's your old laptop. You're not going to invest in creating a new operating system for your old laptop mm-hmm. when you've already invested in you know a new a completely new mm-hmm. platform that complies with that regulation. I don't think they can do remote downloads on ICE macans. You know, like Tesla, sure. they do all these remote downloads, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the Taycan, especially the newer the Macan, they're going to be going that same route. And yeah, you've got to be able to have the uh, the software and infrastructure inside the car to be able to do that without the fear of uh, being hacked. Being hacked, exactly. All right, so let's go into uh, events that are coming up. We have uh, Tech Tactics East coming up very quickly, uh, February 24th and 25th. The 24th is sold out. We do have some slots for the 25th, so I really encourage you to sign up. Um, we just just head over to Motorsports Reg or just go to PCA.org and you'll find uh, the registration links there. Uh, we have Works Reunion March 1st. The judge area is closed. We still have space in the corral, but I think you need to do that pretty soon, I believe. Actually, by the time you hear you this, hear this uh, corral will be closed. Oh, corral will be closed. Yeah. On there. Oh. Closes on Friday. No, okay, so I guess if uh, you're not going to be in the corral or judge, but you still want to come, you don't have a buy a ticket to come to the event. You just have to pay for parking, um, and that's just sort of just in the general uh, yeah, spectator. 40 bucks per car. Yep, unlimited people, so... 
well, not unlimited, I should say. Wh- whoever fits in your car. Legally. <laughs> is, is Clown car. <laughs> uh, Porsche Parade Phase 1 registration is open. Again, we're heading over to Birmingham. So if you want some more details on that, PorscheParade.org. Let's see. We also have, I got an update recently that we are uh, right a tick over 800 members for Treffen at Sea. So if you want to head out to Alaska with us July 28th through August 4th, be sure to sign up soon. There are some rooms with a balcony still available, but they are going fast. And once those are done, then you're relegated to. Are there actually cabin. beach stops when you go to Alaska? Is there any beaches in that ports. area? Ports. They say ports. Ports, but ports. not beaches. I don't. I don't think there's not like be. Caribbean where you guys. I saw pictures of you guys yeah, at beaches. I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Uh, let's see what else. Um, again. If your car is stored away and you're looking to race, uh, check out PCASimRacing.com. They have some live broadcasts on YouTube you might want to check out. They have over 11 EDE sessions, so much like we do DE and club racing. Why don't you specify what EDE means? Because I think it means something else. EDE is Electronic (laughs) Driver's Education. Ah, So so you're not racing, but you're learning how to drive and uh, set up your car, and it's more of a casual uh, it's like a track day. Track day. Yeah, exactly. I was say open track day. Yep. Yep. And uh, June 29th and 30th, they're going to have actually a 24-hour endurance race. So imagine setting up your rig and with a partner or two and driving for 24 hours. Yeah, That's pretty crazy. Time. Oh, yeah. So I thought uh, we didn't mention, and I was going to mention this earlier on, uh, Club Racing had their Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. And this is actually real yep. racing, not... Yep. Um, not uh, sim racing, uh-huh. um, had a Super Bowl in Sebring, and uh, kudos to the club racing folks. Uh, if, you, if you follow our Facebook or Instagram, uh, Bogdan uh, was down there uh, taking a lot of uh, pictures and uh, social media posts and videos. Um, this was only Porsche. That's what uh, in club racing, you can only race uh, Porsches, and they had a ton of them of every single model, I think. Uh, and that's a great thing about club racing, and Sebring is the Super Bowl of uh of club racing i used to call it that because it uh, was a great start off to the year and uh like nathan said about uh going to to, to uh, scottsdale as far as warmth that's what the uh, people go down to sebring in because sebring's about two hours south of orlando uh but yeah kudos to them everything i heard was a successful weekend the hardware of, uh, that is there three is days amazing. of racing serious uh, series hardware with uh, cup cars, 997 cup, not even 997, 992 cup cars yep. that are racing, uh, amateur racing. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, you'll subscribe to our social media, subscribe, and you can, uh, see all these cool photos and videos as Bogdan, uh, slowly leaks them out. As always, we certainly appreciate all of our PCA Insider fans. Uh, we do have a number of items on the PCA web store. If you want to check out, you can get, uh, uh, the water bottle, you can get a mug, or if you want to get a t-shirt, we have them available. If you'd like to get uh, a few decals, PCA Insider decals, just drop us a note at podcast at PCA.org. Give us your details, and we'll mail out a set to you. Uh, anything else before we wrap up uh, this episode, gentlemen? All good? Well, thanks for listening. If you aren't currently a PCA member and own a Porsche, what are you waiting for? Grab your VIN, head over to PCA.org, and sign up as an official member. If you're looking for that special Porsche for your driveway or garage, we have the test drive program at PCA.org, and we'll set you up and give you access to all the resources and unique uh, things that you'll need to find the perfect Porsche for yourself. 
Remember to follow our podcast Instagram page, behind the scenes photos and videos, Porsche Club Insider, all one word. You can send us a message as always at podcast at PCA.org or comment on our YouTube podcast video. Stay in touch with everything all PCA through our PCA newsletters, as we mentioned earlier. Until next time, stay safe. And big and thanks to Nathan Murs for helping you, us live vicariously for the Scottsdale auctions. Appreciate you, Nathan. Absolutely. It's fun being here. See you, everyone.